Man, it is such a big milestone. I can't help myself but toot my own horn. It is episode 100. Episode 100. We have finally made it to the triple digits. I'm, I'm humbled. I'm proud. All at the same time, it's a, it's a huge mix of emotions. You know I'm going to do it right for episode 100. My guest for this episode is the leader of an organization that represents almost $13 billion, with a B, billion dollars in written premium, and almost 6,000 retail insurance agencies across this great country. He is Matt Masiello, CEO of SIAA, and we get all the way into the details in this conversation. Matt does not hold back. He is not terribly well-behaved and buttoned-up and boring. Uh, this is a great episode, and I'm grateful to get an hour uh, with a, a leader as high caliber and as high performance as Matt Masiello. So I don't really have any requests at all for this lead-in. I just say thanks so much for being along for the ride. This has been so much fun in the first 100 episodes. And I say first because there will definitely be more hundreds of this podcast for sure. So sit back, relax. Uh, enjoy episode 100. If there's anything I can do for you, please feel free to drop me a line at James. Uh, excuse me, that's the wrong one. It's podcast at agencyfreedom.com. Podcast at agencyfreedom.com. Love to hear from you if there's anything that uh, you have to say about how we can make this a better experience for you. And that's it. Enjoy episode 100 of the Agency Freedom Podcast. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Boys and girls, it is a milestone for this podcast. I am super proud that we have finally gotten here to episode 100. There are now three digits on the episode indicator. You know I had to do something special for you for a milestone like this. My guest for this episode is none other than Matt Masiello, the CEO, the Grand Poobah of the biggest and baddest network in all the land, SIAA. This is going to be a lot of fun because Matt and I have scripted almost nothing of this episode, uh, which is kind of shocking for someone in his position. So buckle up, boys and girls, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Matt, thanks for joining us for episode 100. 
Well, number one, thanks for having me. But even more importantly, congratulations uh, on episode 100. I, I'm excited. I'm flattered to uh, be included on, on this this episode. And I, I think our, our total prep time was about a minute of saying, let's do this. And so let's have a good time. Let's talk about what's happening in the industry. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Uh, this, as I reflect on where we've come in the last know, almost two years, it's kind of mind-blowing how much I've learned as the host, like how much I've pulled from the guests that have been kind enough to give some of their valuable time here. It really is just a treat to get to be a part of so many people's journey, a very, very small part, of course, but to, to have hundreds and hundreds of messages over the last two years of, hey, thanks for doing the podcast. I'm like, really? I feel like I should thank you as the listener because I get so much fulfillment out of this. It is exactly what I hoped it would be when I launched it now, almost two years ago. So enough about me, Matt. I'm going to go ahead and just hand you the microphone, man. Introduce yourself for those that don't know you. Because at the end of the day, yes, you are the CEO of a very large, influential organization. But at the end of the day, you're just a guy. And you, you have the same yeah. hopes and dreams and, and anxieties and fears that all of us do. I'd love to hear your intro. Who are you? What are you about? And what are you up to right now? Yeah, happy to, to give a little bit of uh, background. I am a, a multi-generation insurance kid. And so my father started his own agency. Believe it or not, my grandfather was a field man, was what they called them back then, uh, after uh, World War II for the Hartford. And so insurance sort of ran through my blood. And like most people, I said I would never get into insurance. And, and now I'm rounding the corner on my 30th year. So started on the retail side here in the Northeast, moved into the network side with Sand Group, which was SI's original master agency. I spent a good portion of my year of my life building that organization and then was chief operating officer of SIAA, working on sort of the systems and the processes as we built it around the country, partnering with all of our master agencies around the country and, and been CEO since I think 2008 or so. You know, it's a cool business. You know, I think insurance can be fun and exciting. And what I always tell everybody for us here at SIA, and I know our master agencies around the country feel the same way, is, is we feel like we have sort of a noble uh, uh, goal. And it's to help small businesses. It's to help uh, individuals be successful in their career and be successful in their businesses. It just happens to be insurance. And one of the most fun things for me when I travel around the country and, and meet with and work with our agencies is to hear their success stories. To your point about the podcast, about being a small part, we're a small part of people's success stories, but we're proud of that part that we have uh, in people building their, their agencies and taking care of their families and, and the families of the folks that work for them. That's a, a big part of why we do what we do. You have a really unique perspective because not only are you literally born and raised in the insurance industry, you have had a front row seat to what has become one of the most influential organizations in our entire industry. Uh, you guys exist, I shouldn't say you guys, we as an organization, because I'm part of the SIA family, very proudly so, we as an organization exist at, at a crossroads between carriers and wholesalers and MGAs and technology partners and other vendors that all participate in this ecosystem. You've had a front row seat for the evolution that has occurred in the last decade or two I've only been around in the insurance industry since 2012. Uh, I just crossed over 10 years of agency ownership back in January. What a cool perspective that you bring to the conversation. 
not just as an executive of a very large and influential organization, but as someone who's been around this crossroads for a very long time. Uh, what sort of perspective uh, do you want to tease out in this conversation of where we are now, as opposed to maybe where we've come since you've been near this crossroads with SIAA and your various roles over the last few years? Sure. Look, I, I came into the industry at a time that, that they were counting us dead, right? You know, you know it, up until just a couple of years ago, independent agencies were being referred to as dinosaurs and we have no value proposition and, and you know, sort of call bullshit on that. And I think we can all a little bit declare victory at this point. Like this is the greatest time ever to be an independent agency. I, I always tell everybody I have the greatest job ever because I get to spend time on Main Street and working with independent agencies, but then I get to spend time on Wall Street uh, and work with some of the largest companies in the country and bridge that gap and pull those two things together. We talk about the fact that we perform a valuable service to insurance companies by helping them manage a subset or work with a subset of their independent agency distribution. Conversely, we help those carriers provide access to the agencies to help make the agencies successful as well. And, you know, you use the word evolution. It's probably an overused term within our organization, but we have not been a static business model. We have been a model uh, that evolves not not just over the decades, but evolves from year to year uh, as the agency's needs change or as the carrier needs change to to meet those needs. And so it's it's really been fascinating. You cannot rest on your laurels. You know, you as our member agencies, your needs evolve. You know, we, we like to say that we're here for the life cycle of an agency and every agency is at that different stage. And we want to make sure that when an agency principal is at a certain stage and needs that help, we can come in and help them with that. And in order to do that, we have to evolve nationally, we have to evolve regionally, and we have to evolve uh, on the street as well. So um, it, it's been fun. You know, insurance can be fun, right? Like there's really, you know, it's, it is what you make of it. And, and I think we've made a fun organization that is filled with, uh, with great people. One of the things that you said before, as we were very briefly prepping for this episode, you weren't so much interested in talking about where we've come and where we have been in the past. You were more focused on where do we go from here and pointing out maybe some industry trends that you think are really relevant for the independent agency channel, the network of ISMs, the independent strategic members, as we call them, that are part of the SIAA family. I'm going to ask you just to comment on, on maybe some trends that you see really impacting us as a channel uh, in the near future and what's on tap for SIAA as a company. What can we as stakeholders in this ecosystem that you're basically in, you know, at the head of, what can we expect from the company in, in the coming months and years? Yeah, let me let me start with sort of the status of the independent agency industry. Uh, I mentioned earlier, right? Like we were called my first twenty five years in business. Like, why are you in insurance? Why are you in the insurance business? You know, the internet's the banks are going to put you out of business. The internet's going to put you out of business. This or that. This yep. this app or this insure tech's going to put you out of business. We seem to be doing okay. And we're doing okay for a myriad of reasons, right? Uh, we have a valuable proposition in our communities for people that want us to 
manage their risks and protect their assets. Uh, we're doing okay because as large agencies have bought up other agencies, the entrepreneurial spirited folks that worked in those agencies want to go out and hang their own shingle out. We're doing okay as an industry, as you experienced, because the captive and the exclusive agents, those that want to be entrepreneurs and want access to more products for their consumers, want to branch off and become independent agencies. And so this is the most exciting time uh, and I'll say this a lot, uh, to be an independent agency. I've been doing this for three decades. Like It's it's hard over the, th- the last three decades to wake up and be like, oh my gosh, it's so awesome to be in the independent agency business. Like We should think that now. And and it's not just these opportunities for, for new agencies in the industry, but I think there's a couple other things. I think that we thought that a lot of the insure tech investment that was coming up through the marketplace and a lot of the noise we were hearing over the last maybe four years, we thought that was going to disintermediate a lot of us as, as independent agencies. We now know uh, that it levels the playing field. And I always tell everybody that these insure techs a couple of years ago, they met several barriers to entry, right? The barriers to entry were, you know, to be in the insurance industry, you don't deal with one regulator, you deal with 50. To be in the insurance industry, you have to have uh, capital, you have to have distribution. And I think the latter one where a lot of these technology organizations realized was the fact that the independent agency distribution is the strongest distribution in the insurance channel. And so they pivoted. And that's a long way around for me to say that technology has leveled the playing field. So we have a strong distribution channel. Even the carriers have started investing less in their captive and their exclusive channel. They're investing heavily in the direct channel, but they'll admit that that's a different customer base. Uh, and they're investing back into their into their independent agency channel. So technology is leveling the playing field. The carriers believe in their independent agency channel and are investing into that. And I think just within our ecosystem, uh, James, and this is something that you experience. Um, you have to generate money. And so one of the things that happens in our ecosystem is because of our size uh, across the country and the performance of our member agencies, we have higher compensation levels that are available to agencies. And so if you were to bring technology into an agency as a, a leveling the playing field factor, and you were to believe, uh, bring in a higher level of compensation from carriers, program providers, wholesalers, whatever the case may be, that allows you to invest back in your agency now you have a business model that is uh, stable, it is technologically advanced and evolving forward, and it has the compensation to pay for these while you guys can still support your families too. That's a cool time uh, to be in this business. And this is an exclusive SIA, right? Like there's, you know, I know there's meetings going on right now around the country with a lot of the same folks that you and I know. Uh, and, and this is a, a group of, of men and women that are, uh, they're younger, they're they're excited about what the industry can be. They're making it fun. They're on social media talking about it. And so we like to be part of that. And, and even with a lot of the sort of the changes around technology and agency operations, you know, we want to sort of ride the crest uh, or even be out in front of of the evolutionary wave and be leaders within that by harnessing the capability and some of the experience across the organization with with folks like you and your peers that are part of the organization and the carriers. The carriers, I came up in an industry where we would wait for the carriers to tell us what we were going to do. They would tell us what was good for us. The carriers are now saying, hey, we don't know. We don't have the answers. We want to partner with our independent agency distribution. And, you know, we're in a unique place where they'll let us into technology hubs and they'll share 
share with us what they're seeing and they recognize that they can't do things or they shouldn't do things without us collectively as their distribution partnering with them on it. Like I've just never seen that in this industry or other industries for that matter. It's really interesting to me the way that things play out over time and how different it is to get a good start with a new thing in in distribution. And you said it before with directs, how different it is to have a good start versus staying power after an initial push. You know, and this is just my opinion. I don't know if there's a better example for this than Lemonade uh, with the way that they so overtly marketed against the independent agency channel, you know, in 2016, 17, 18. And literally, I have a screenshot saved on my phone from back then because it, it ticked me off so bad because they were literally making fun of us and saying, you don't need an agent, just come to us. The money that we would have paid the agent, we'll give you back as lower premium. And then we see all the things happen with their horrible retention and their loss ratio spiral out of control. Then they do their IPO you know, somewhere almost two years ago now. And now they're sitting you know, 25% of their value at IPO. And it's like, oh, wait a second. You realized that Writing new business doesn't mean you have a safe and healthy distribution ecosystem. You can't retain those clients because it takes a good agent to keep them happy and to make sure they stick around. And then, of course, you know how the story went with AmSuisse coming on board as a distribution partner and them going out to the independent agent force that they have been insulting for years and asking them, hey, do you, uh, you want a lemonade appointment? I was like, not so fast, my friend. Let's uh, tap the brakes there a little bit. The landscape, as we sit here, from my perspective, as a retail agency principal, has never been more exciting. Because I think, it, from what I hear from you and what you've said up to this point, I can guess that you and I probably think about this in the same way. Disruption either creates opportunity or it creates threat. And it all depends on your posture and how prepared you are. Embedded is a perfect example these QBI, quote, bind issue opportunities from technology partners, another good example. If you're not ready for it, it's definitely a threat. But if you are ready, if you are prepared to take advantage of new opportunities to innovate, well, man, like you said, Matt, it is a really exciting time to be an independent agent. You know, the true entrepreneur finds opportunity in the middle of difficulties. And and I'm not claiming that I'm a true entrepreneur. I didn't start this business. My, my father did, but have been part of the team now since we, uh, since we started. And there are things that have happened in the industry over the years where we're like, wow, that sucks. Boy, I bet we can help people with that. Um, and, and what you're talking about there with embedded, right? Like embedded's a threat if you're running a 1970s insurance agency. Um, yep. but, in, but embedded's an opportunity for a lot of people that we know uh, that are saying, look, how do we get into that? We need technology and we have to have the ability to invest into APIs and things like that. And, and so that is, you know, that's sort of a longer term a tip of the skis opportunity getting onto embedded insurance that not everyone's good. But when you talk about difficulty, just the hard market, right? And you're in Texas. We have a lot of agencies in Florida and, and California, and there's nothing harder yeah. than those three states. But there's a hard market all across the country. And, you know, I sit here with sort of a big smile on my face relative to, to a hard market. Because we question when the last time we saw one is, right? I think it was probably around 04 where we saw a real hard market. And a lot of people will look at a hard market and say, you know, they'll, they'll contract, right? Like, we'll, we'll just go back to COVID for a second, right? Like, 
that was a challenging time. And the agencies that said, I'm going to shut down and bury my head in the sand and wait for this to pass, they got their butts kicked. But the agencies that said, I'm going to get out in the community, I'm going to help people, I'm going to help them with the government loans. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, get my staff set up remote and, uh, you know, VoIP system and management system. Those are the agencies that actually grew during COVID because other people's customers called them and said, my agent's not around and I still need help. Right. Um, And I think the hard hard market is the same way. And I think that we, we should, you know, those of us that want to be aggressive sort of all the time, sometimes too much should recognize that this is a finite time to grow your business. Right. You're like, everybody's getting rate increases, which means the incumbent is, the incumbent is selling rate increases and which means you might as well go hit their client, that agency's client as well. And so I've seen some of the best growth from independent agencies in hard markets. Um, they go quickly. And so I always think it's a shame when somebody doesn't take advantage of it. You've got to retain your own business, uh, but it's a great opportunity because you're, you're not actually selling price. You're selling value of doing business with you and your agency and whatever your individual value proposition is. So I love challenging times because I think that's when the entrepreneur and the people that have a little bit of fire and chutzpah really succeed uh, in this industry. So with SIAA, we are the biggest and baddest network by a lot. We represent by far the most independent agents in the country of any network uh, in, in the independent channel. We represent the most premium of any network by a lot. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you and your, your fellow uh, you know, team members on, on leadership? What can we expect from SIAA, whether it's new initiatives, new market access or programs or technology or partnerships or really whatever direction you want to take this answer in, what can we expect to see from SIAA in in the coming months and years to better take advantage of your and, and our systemic advantages just from scale? Yep. Yep. So uh, first thing is blocking and tackling, right? So we do three things uh, for for you folks, uh, our membership and, and the folks in our ecosystem is we provide market access. We provide access to some of the best compensation out there. and We provide agency development services. All three of those things also have to now, after you block and tackle, have to evolve forward as well. And so with market access, you know, you'll see us move much more aggressively now into the program space. You'll see us continuing to add additional partners in the hard market right now. Our ENS partners are even more important, right? And so making sure that we're getting them in front of our member agencies, but getting access to markets and getting access to underserved markets, getting access to programs that may be or products that the agencies can't get access to without some critical mass. So that's one. Uh, the second one is the compensation. Uh, you know, we have a department here that is called the revenue manufacturing department and, and you and your peers participate in not just the profit sharing you get from Coverca and your local master agency, but the national compensation that we've developed, the revenue that we've manufactured in partnership with the carriers to, to help feed our member agencies for the production they write, but where else can we manufacture revenue for the ecosystem? And so, you know, is it manufacturing uh, revenue by identifying product lines across all of the members in the country and giving you access to some exclusivity or some product that is going to uh, give you a leg up uh, in the community when you're competing with, with other agents or agencies and generating additional revenue on that? When we talk about revenue manufacturing, we're creating the opportunity for our members 
member agencies to access more products, to sell more, to generate revenue, to participate in excess compensation arrangements to generate more revenue. With the carriers or the partners or the writing paper or the wholesalers or whoever it is, they win because they're accessing distribution and generating more revenue. And then obviously through delivering these things, we participate in that stuff as well. And then the final thing is the agency development services that we talked about. And, you know, it's interesting with our organization, we are always taking a look at what our agencies need. And I mentioned the life cycle of the agencies a, a couple of minutes ago. And you know, we're a national organization that can create sort of institutional opportunities on a national basis. Uh, but as you know uh, very well, then these national opportunities are brought down to a region where they're executed on a regional basis with our master agencies out there. But then uh, collectively, SIA and all of our master agencies, we have about 150 people in the field that implement these things in the offices, right? Uh, And with the agencies. And that's a real big value proposition. And so you take that blocking and tackling, you take these things that were created. And so now, now where do you go from here? So we're spending a lot of time in the insure tech space. Uh, We were a little bit of a passenger in that space. Now we believe we're actually out driving a little bit more of this. We're spending a lot of time with the technology vendors. We host our IA Evolve program every year where we have panels and guest speakers and virtual trade show and all these things for agencies to learn what their peers are doing and what's happening in technology. Through our involvement in Ryan Hanley's operation, Rogue Risk, we are able to participate in a sandbox, if you will, for trying out various technologies and processes in a digital, fully digital insurance agency environment and bring that back to the agencies as well. And then the final piece I'll, I'll just sort of mention is, is data. And it, it's overused. It's a little bit cliche that data's king and, and, and data's the future. But all of these things I just rattled off to you that we're doing, uh, we become stronger with data. And you know what we we do know is we are an organization that that has either has data or has access to more data than other organizations within the industry. And you sort of laid out the the trifecta, if you will, of SIA carriers and the and the member agencies. And, and we sort of sit in the middle there. And you know, carriers have access to their data and their data in your agency, but they don't have access to what your agency does. And individual agencies have access to their data, which isn't enough critical mass of data to do very much with. Um, and we sort of sit in this cool position in between you all where we, we're saying, look, let's continue to build on the data we have. You know, we know around the country, you know, how much of the, the you know, so 12, 12.5, almost $12.5 billion of premium with SIA. We know $6 billion of it is with strategic partners, but we also know where the other $6.5 billion is and who writes it and who they write it with, right? That's valuable data. What if we go a little bit deeper and we partner with agencies like RiskWall and say, look, do you have these types of accounts or do you have these books of business? And can we either develop partnerships with these organizations or conversely, can we either create our own products or can we go to the carriers we represent and manufacture opportunity and revenue for RiskWall and other agencies to participate in those things? And so you will see, you know, when you think about SIA, we started, you know, you know, 30 plus years ago as a portfolio of independent agencies. And then we got really big across the country and it became a portfolio of premium that we utilized to benefit both the agencies and the carriers and ourselves. And now we look at it and we say, hey, what's it look like if we build a, a bigger portfolio of data? 
to benefit both the agencies and the carriers that are in the program. And so I think data, although it is overused, understanding what we're going to do with it, how we get access to it, letting everybody feel comfortable that it's not being used for nefarious purposes. It is being used to benefit the players that are participating in that, that sort of infinite game that we're working on. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who is it, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. I love it. It is it's always great to hear it straight from the top, kind of the the emphasis areas in the near future. I want to ask something that may be a little bit off the beaten path. And this is something that Jack Calabrese and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago when he was down doing some stuff with recruiters for this part of the country. And he was asking me some, you know, candid feedback. And I, I gave it without reservation because that's just how I roll. We as an organization are extremely compelling for the scratch, the early stage, the captive agent that wants to leave and you know take their freedom jump, as we call it on this podcast, and go independent. SIAA might just be the very best option for that profile of agency. For the more sophisticated operators, the ones that have been around for a while, that let's say $2 million in revenue as a, as a threshold and, and beyond, they don't really need market access. They have enough clout to get their own providers and, and carriers and whatnot. How can we, and maybe I'm missing something, in your opinion, why should we be, as an organization, more compelling for this second different profile of agency that from where I sit, we're not nearly as compelling in our current iteration as an organization? And I see that a lot of opportunity for where we can become more and my personal involvement in helping us move in some of those directions. I'm very eager to do that. How do we get more attractive to the bigger, more well-established agencies nationally? Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, we're about two-thirds. So we brought on 700 new agencies last year. 200 mm -hmm. of them came through a couple of network acquisitions. So of the 500 new agencies we recruited, uh, about, about two-thirds of them are startups. And then within that startup group, they're either about 50% are producers leaving independent agencies and about 50% are exclusive agencies. And I do believe we should be the only choice for those folks. Like I've set that bar pretty high. When we think about sort of mid-size agencies, so is it 70% of independent agencies are under $1.5 million and, and then I think 80, 90% are under like 5 million or something like that. I don't, yep. I think one thing is we have not done a, a good job as an organization with that value proposition with what we can do for those folks. By the way, we have, I don't know, 900 or 1,000 agencies that are in that size that, that you're talking about right there that are part of the group. But I think for bringing the agencies on board, we haven't done a good job with the value proposition. 
I think that we, within that value proposition, while it may not be carrier access that they're looking for, there's more, as we were talking about before, than just carriers, right? I've, I've talked yeah. to a numerous large agencies very recently to, due to a, a, a transaction we just did. And, you know, we have a couple hundred million dollars with several ENS houses where we have very nice excess compensation relationships because of the, the size and the distribution partnership. These large agencies don't have access to that. And so we can give them access to that. Um, you know, there is, so there's the compensation piece is a big one uh, for those agencies. Even a large agency, while they don't need market access and a couple million dollars of revenue, can't get the, a couple million dollars of a, a, a commission, can't get access to the revenue deals that we have. I think the next part goes into that data piece, which is I was talking with a large agency recently and I said, look, would you share some level of data out of your AMS if we asked? And they said, well, what, what type of data? And I said, well, I don't know, um, you know, risk class, premium, line of business, uh, geography down to maybe zip code. Like I don't need PII level information. And I said, if I could get that from you and, and, and 30 or 40 other agencies, either in this state or in this region, and we could match that up and we could find homogeneous products, we could find captives, we could find this type of stuff, like, would that interest you? And they said, look, we only have our own data. We'd love to do something like that. So that becomes a good value proposition for larger agencies as well. And so, you know, a $2 million revenue agency, there's a lot of tools that we bring to the table that maybe we just don't do as good a job as we should. And that's something Jack is working on to uh, get out in, in front of those types of agencies. You know, we have a significant number of educational tools that they can use for, you know, CSRs and producers. Uh, you know, many of the listeners that are part of us are aware of our business insurance advantage program where we're training account executives and producers to efficiently write small commercial I think we run about 700 producers a year through that program. And, and large agencies might look at that and say, well, we already do small commercial or small commercial isn't efficient or profitable for us. Well, this program, the idea of this program is to make it efficient and profitable for you so you don't lose it. Because in your community as a several million dollar revenue agency, uh, uh, there's, all, there's, there's middle market business, but there's also a lot of people that own businesses and have really nice personal accounts that are all, all of a sudden $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 account. So there's a lot of opportunity there and we need to do a better job getting the uh, getting the message out with that stuff. Good for me, man. The direction I want to take us in for just a couple of minutes and I I understand that you and I neither one of us want to be defender in chief as you can imagine with who I am in in becoming in the industry. I have a lot of conversations with agents and I'm viewing many more conversations that I'm not actively participating in in a variety of social media channels and, you know, conference, the hallways outside of, uh, you know, event spaces and conferences and whatnot. The two most common attacks against SIAA that I see in social media, in, in conversations and people that have direct messaged me and been like, yeah, I know you're an SIAA, but what about blank? I'm going to give you the open opportunity to provide your rebuttal on exactly why we do certain things the way that yep. we do and why it's actually in the agent's best interest that it is done that way. The first is simply the the makeup of the relationship, the contractual obligations, the split on monthly production, namely the exit or divorce clauses, what we call deferred compensation, what that number looks like. What is that in a in a beneficial context for the agent? Why 
uh, do people need a little bit of adjustment in their perspective when they are thinking that that's a big negative for being a part of SIAA? Yeah. So, you know, we are not an organization where we want people to come and go. Uh, you know, we want to build long-term relationships with our agencies. We're able to deliver the services and benefits on the compensation level with the level from the carriers because it's a long-term relationship uh, as well. Starting sort of at the beginning of the, your question about, you know, including, you know, reporting and, and fees on all carriers versus just the carriers that we aggregate. Well, one, we're not an aggregator. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of organizations, which are great organizations, do a good job of with the agencies they do business with is they aggregate certain carriers, they provide some carrier access, and they have a transaction fee for that carrier access. If that's what somebody's looking for, that's great. Within our model, um, our job, our mission, our goal um, is to, like I said before, it's to build successful careers and businesses. So when somebody comes on board with us, when Riskwell joined us, our focus wasn't on, hey, James, we want you to have a really great book with XYZ Insurance Company. Our focus was, we want you to build a hell of an agency. Like we want you to generate like like significant success and wealth uh, and be able to do things with your family and take care of your employees. And so when you're just focused on your carriers that you're providing to an agency, or you're just focused on your books of business, you're not helping grow the overall agency. And so like when I talked about our system of you know national and then regional and then all the way down to the local, you know, we invest into those things. You know, we don't sort of sit back on our laurels. And so with that investment we're incentivized as you sort of roll through the reporting and then to the exit fee, we're incentivized to help you build an incredibly valuable business. We're not just incentivized to write policies. And so I think that's, I think that's one part of it. The other part of it, which I've mentioned a couple of times now is really the data piece, right? So agencies will say, well, geez, if I join so-and-so, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the company that you're not providing. Well, with us, uh, with the agencies that are part of us and reporting to us every month, they're both aggregated and they're non-aggregated premium volume. It has given us the ability to identify carriers that we don't have partnerships with and go out and get partnerships because our agencies have so much critical mass with them. Um, and so it's given us the ability to manufacture revenue, identify additional carriers, additional carrier appointments for the agency. And then I go back to the agency development services as well. You know, with a field organization of 150 people, is an organization that has three field people going to on a national basis going to send those field people out to really get into agencies and help them grow and understand what your goals and your needs are and understand what the plateau is that you're stuck on that's preventing you from growing to the next level. We will take the time. We will take the effort. We have the data. We have the analytics. We have the people that can do that. And with sort of what you're laying out here and spelling out here, the not innuendo, but sort of underneath the surface is, hey, SIA, you're expensive, right? Like you ask us to do things yep. that other groups don't ask us to do. You're more expensive and it's more of a commitment to join you. And my response is, yes, let's go backwards here. It is more of a commitment to, to join us because we're going to deliver more. And we have, you know, we, I, I'm always a little careful to overplay size and longevity, but that does bring stability as an organization as well. And I want the listeners to come away with that we're an evolving organization, even though we have size and stability. So coming back into that, we have this opportunity to continue to invest in these agencies. And actually, when agencies sit down and do the math, and you actually may know the statistic, I, I believe it's almost 90% of our member agencies are paid more every year 
than they pay to be a member. And so like if you were to say, what's the KPI that you look at at the end of every year or the beginning of every year? I look at that and I say, are we doing our job? Does it cost nothing for somebody to be a member agency? And if they are actively participating in the things that we provide, are we generating profit for that agency? And at the end of the day, if we're doing that, by the way, we're actually not more expensive. Yep. It's an investment and it's a partnership. So I, I mean, that's sort of a long-winded answer to that question. But, you know, we're bullish on it. You know, we, we believe in what we do. You know, our, you know, your next question may be the contract, right? And, and this is a contract that has made thousands and thousands and thousands of agencies successful around the country. Uh, and it's a contract that has allowed us to invest back in the independent agencies and back into uh, the, the distribution channel. Uh, as well. So, you know, we don't hide behind it. We're proud of it. Uh, but we think because of the model, because of the way we work and, and that, that reporting and that fee schedule, and because of the amount of money we pay back to the agencies, that it's a success for everybody in the system. You know, you, you read my mind on the second question, and it really comes down to the contractual provisions. And as I wrote in chapter nine of the book that is coming out, uh, right about the time that we're releasing this episode is, is going to be just on top of, of the book's release. I don't know exactly what the date is yet, but it's going to be real close. So by the time you're listening to this episode, Freedom Jumper, keep an eye out because the book may already be available on Amazon and everywhere that uh, you buy your books online. But in chapter nine of the book, we talk about how Contracts have a bit of an optics problem. A lot of people think of contracts in an almost universally negative light. And I see the other side of the coin because a well-written contract is a safety net. Yeah. It, it is protection. It is mutual understanding. It is alignment of expectations and objectives. And besides that, let's get in the, the nuts and bolts here. A contract is open to negotiation if the other party has something to offer, right? I'm a perfect example. When I got the stock contract from Coverica in 2018, I went home and I read every line of that contract. That probably surprises you 0%, Matt. But I went back to the Sterlaces and I said, I have a problem with da 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 And it was like 13 different items that I brought up of, explain this to me, I don't like this, I want to see this change, blah, blah, blah. Chris said, bro, hold on for a second. You go back and pick five things that you want to talk about. I am not going to go over 13 things. You pick the top five that are really important to you, we'll have that conversation. And I'm under an NDA, so I'm not going to talk specifics, but what I will say is my biggest problem was the deferred comp of being what it is with the stock contract, and I took a bet on myself and said, hey, Coverica, I need you guys to slice that off by a lot if I'm able to meet revenue target by X date in the future, you guys agree to slice off a chunk of that deferred comp. And you know what? We were able to get it done because I came to the table with an ask, but I also offered something of value because that's how negotiations work. And it is my biggest pet peeve when I hear people talk about our company, SIAA, because they're always like, yeah, 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 the contract is punitive. I don't like it. And just they point out something in the contract. It was like, do you not understand how contracts work? This is not a carrier appointment. This is not a, a policy, an insurance policy contract. It's not unilateral. 
This is a conversation. If you want to change something about the contract, let's talk. Yeah. But the, the people that just leave the stock contract and walk away, or even better, sign something without reading every line of the contract and then complain about the provisions that they agreed to, what do you say about that? How is your take in the whole contract? And because that is probably one of the most divisive items out in the social media space. Yeah, uh, to your point, right? So, you know, in this world, we have to have contracts, right? I, w- I wish we could all do things on handshakes, but at some point in the future, people change their minds uh, on things or scenarios change. Uh, but we also have to deliver in the contract, right? Like we're not just holding agencies yep. uh, accountable for the contract. And we we take our delivery, as you can imagine, very seriously with that. You know, relative to uh, the negotiation, yeah, you're right, right? I, I always tell everybody, if you've seen one independent agency, you've seen one independent agency. Like, you guys are all different. And, you know, there are folks that come in and say, look, we're going to be the biggest agency you've ever seen. And three years later, they're writing a half a million dollars of premium. And you're like, hmm. You know, we, we spent a lot of money and put a lot of investment on there. We're certainly willing to put money and investment and deliver for somebody that says, look, I'm okay with this up to here, but if I do this, I would like this to look completely different, right? It's incentivizing for success, right? We, we um, I'd be a little careful because we don't want to get too political here, but there are a lot of people that want something for nothing or they feel as though they're owed it. Uh, and, you know, we're yep. a firm believer that if you come on board with us, we are going to execute and deliver on what we say we're going to do. And we will provide you all the tools to do it. But the only thing we can do is provide the tools. Uh, and we know what success looks like for agencies. And a lot of times success is at the uh, principle, like, what do they, how do they define success, right? If they want to be a $10 million agency and they can do it, we're going to have a very different discussion than somebody that um, uh, doesn't have a good plan or isn't going to execute on those types of things. So, and, you know, we're not a franchise. This isn't a, to your point, this is not a take it or leave it contract. I think the final piece on the contract, uh, and just like I said before, we don't hide behind it. It's, it's, it's made us and many other organizations and agencies and carriers very successful that, that do business with us. The other piece is uh, there are a lot of contracts that are signed in the industry that people think are not as involved that lock them up. They block carrier appointments. They're not allowed to take their clients away. And, you know, with us, everything's right up front. You own your business. If you want, if you want to leave, you take your business. Uh, you take your carriers with you. You have to abide by the terms of the agreement. But we're very upfront that, you know, if somebody grows to the point where they think they're successful enough and they would like to move on, we would like to help them do that because they've created that success and that opportunity. So I like the way you phrased it. Uh, and we are an organization that wants to do business with entrepreneurs. I'll just go back to again, making, helping people and businesses be successful. And, you know, handcuffing people doesn't make them successful. And the final thing I'll just say about that is, is um, I, I, I think the results speak for a lot of it as well, right? If, if, if we were, if we were, you know, awful contractor, awful people and, and did nefarious things, we just wouldn't be here. Uh, the industry wouldn't tolerate it. So we yep. invite people to get to know us and get to know our master agencies. By the way, the first thing that we require with our field organization when we're adding agencies around the country is we got to like each other. It's not a business yep. thing. We have to like each other uh, is the very first thing we talk about. I, I recognize that some people get real bit out of shape when I say this because it seems a little bit, 
I don't know, maybe rude or condescending or something. The contract, the stipulations, the exit, the the right of first refusal and all of that stuff, it really should only matter if you're intending to fail as an independent agency owner. If you're coming into this going, all right, well, um, I'm going to give it a go, but if it doesn't work how I want it to, I'm going to be looking for the exit right. pretty quick. I lack the intestinal fortitude to stick with us and, and make it through, embrace the suck, as they say. <laughs> You know, the exit clauses matter a lot more to people that fail. Yeah, I mean, the the idea uh, of it is to invest in each other and create success at the end of the day for all of us. And and I believe that you've gone through some sort of a transaction as well. And that is the idea is that it is a win-win for everybody. Yep. But, you know, we, for yeah. agencies that sort of to sort of fail the launch, it can be challenging. But we do want to reward success uh, for those that, that, that thrive. Absolutely. It's got to be a two-way street, right? Both parties have to come in. Both parties have skin in the game. We win more when we win together. And I know that's cliche, but I'm sticking by it, you know? I have two questions left because we are almost out of the allotted time. And thank you so much for uh, giving some of your valuable time this afternoon. These are completely unrelated questions. Um, The first one is fun. And the second one is just me being curious. I would love to see an event of some kind, whether you call it a conference or whatever, we are the biggest network in the country. We, the IA Evolve virtual conference thing, that's fine and everything, but I've been to Innovation, put on by IAOA, great event, been to what is now being called the Agency Success Conference uh, and other larger events, whether it's a big I state convention or something. I've heard rumors that we are going to have an actual big shindig event at some time in the second half of 2024. I'm not going to hold you to it, but is that something that you're working towards of making it happen in the second half of 2024? Uh, my understanding is yes. And um, uh, we have a, a common friend in Mr. Hanley who has uh, uh, something to do in this organization, and he's pushing the heck out of it. And I know several of you have pushed us to do it. It would be a, it would be a pretty impressive organization. And, and as you just said, I mean, we're having to look a couple of years out just to even think of a venue that could, could host something like that. So uh, would be pretty exciting yeah. would be some pretty neat uh insurance people uh there uh to showcase what this industry is becoming and showcase the success of a lot of the people that are part of this organization love it that's about as good an answer as i could hope for in this situation last question and then i'll just hand you the mic and you can wrap us up with any of your final thoughts anything that you want to ad lib on there there's a it's not exactly a secret. It's been all over the news. For anybody who's paying attention, SIAA went from being a mm. privately held organization that was a family office, basically. Uh, your dad was the guy in charge. And the organization made the decision to go through a transfer of ownership and equity to Odyssey, which is a private equity group. And they made the acquisition. You come in and follow your dad as CEO. And now Odyssey is helping move things along and and providing oversight and suggestions and consulting to help grow the organization. Anybody who knows anything about private equity knows they play by a completely different set of rules than the insurance industry. They have different objectives. uh, They have different things that they're looking for. Obviously, growth and profit and, and scale and everything is probably near the top. My concern as someone who's inside of this ecosystem is private equity tends to hold an asset for somewhere in the neighborhood of five years. And then they disperse the asset and move on to the next thing. What does that look like for us? We're still early in that five-year span. 
What does it look like for the long term for somebody like me that plans to be around for another few decades? Anything you want to offer some some warm fuzzies and comfort for the agents that are going, what happens when Odyssey sells yeah. us? Yeah, uh, so that's a that's a, a great question and not, and, and not one uh, that I actually thought we were going to go into because it was two years ago, but it's a great question because like most businesses, we had a perpetuation challenge. And so I can talk about the next five years, but you know, we could have had yeah. this conversation. I'd love to. We could have had this conversation three years ago where people were saying to us, you guys are all about a person or a family. What happens if the person or the family is no longer involved? And so that was the first thing we had yep. to solve for. We had to solve for creating an opportunity for this business to transcend an individual or a family for a long time to come. And, and private equity was the vehicle to do that. When we decided that we were going to transcend this family-owned business, we, we sort of thought about several things. One was our people, uh, not just the, the employees here at SIA, but the 450 people that work across all the master agencies. We thought about you guys, our member agencies that rely on us. And we even thought about our carriers. Look, we're one of the, we're the largest trading partner with most of the carriers we do business with. So we had to think about the carriers. And so private equity became the way to do that. And so Odyssey came in, uh, they invested in the business. I always point out, I always say the first word in private equity, by the way, is still private. Right. We're not we're not private. beholden yep. to stockholders and Wall Street and things like that. We are still a privately owned business. I think the next part of this is the private equity model to me actually brings more assurances than less assurances about what's going to happen. Yes, private equity uh, organizations ultimately exit uh, because that's how they make money. But for us running the business this is something Jack Calabrese and I are, are talking about right now. And if you were to read Simon Sinek's book, uh, The Infinite Game, um, you know, the yep. private equity firm has a finite game. We have to have an yep. infinite game because a whole bunch of us, 51 years old, a whole bunch of us are going to be working here yep. the next time too. So we run the business as if it is an infinite game because we want to be there for the ecosystem and the people and the businesses within the ecosystem. We want to be there for ourselves. We're going to have to be there for the next investor. Then the only other thing I would say about that is as a privately owned family business, we never could have invested in the business the way we invest. And we never could have brought the resources into this business to move forward into the evolution of the industry. Uh, they supercharged this business with it. And so I, I actually yeah. get excited about this. You know, it, I think it breathed it, new life uh, into many of us, into the organization. It's given us the ability to sort of evolve, continue to evolve the business, but much more aggressively, even in space where some of us might not have the comfort level, whether it's technology or whether it's data or whether it's moving into uh, moving into the, the coverage world, right? Or, uh, or the underwriting world and things like that. So I love it. Uh, it's an infinite game. And so if any listeners don't know what I'm talking about there, either go yep. to a TED Talk or read the book or listen to the book. But this is this is the definition of an infinite game. Man, I, I don't know if you could have answered that question any better. That's perfect. Uh, and it's true to kind of what I've seen from you. It's a very on-brand answer. The Infinite Game is a transcendent book, by the way. I Everybody knows Start With Why from Simon Sinek, and that's probably his most famous one. But The Infinite Game, you should absolutely be picking up uh, if you haven't already read it, Freedom Jumper. I should have uh, specifically brought that up because I, I wanted to ask that question just for my own curiosity of, hey, what happens when Odyssey decides to move on, as all private equity companies do eventually? 
Thank you for that. I think that was really insightful. I'm, I'm going to hand you the microphone. Now. I'm done with my questions. Where do you want to take the, the last couple minutes of our time here together? It is totally up to you, whatever direction you want to go in. Yeah, I, I'm not going to overcomplicate this. Uh, I, I think that if the listeners want to come away uh, from this with one thing, uh, grind. It's the opportunity to grind. Those that are entrepreneurial, they're out in front, they're in their either online or physical communities. Uh, they're giving back. By the way, they're taking care of their people, uh, which is something we don't do well uh, in, in this industry because their people will take better care of their customers. Grind, take advantage of the hard market, take advantage of the technology. You know, I don't care if you're part of us or you're part of one of the other organizations, that's a tool in your toolbox. Use it to the best of your ability to be successful. I just, it's really hard to almost explain how exciting it is to be in this industry right now. And, and, and for those that don't get it, it's a little frustrating. You know, there was a, a company president maybe seven or eight years ago said that said, look, there's 38,000 independent agencies in the industry today. There'll be 38,000 independent agencies in the industry in, in 10 or 15 years. It's just going to be a different 38,000. And so I, I really just, you know, people should come away from this podcast or, or any of the, the other ones that, you know, we've all participated in and should be excited. The final thing I will just add to that is congratulations on the 100th podcast. Congratulations on the book. I assume by the time this comes out, I will have it sitting on my desk. And I, and I thank I thank people uh, like you, uh, not because you're part of SIA, but because there is a group of people within the industry that have chosen to take their time and their treasure and make their experiences and share other people's experiences with the industry to build this excitement for the future. You know, we could all just be sitting here in our own worlds or creating our own success, but there's, you know, there's 30, 40, 50 uh, men and women in the industry, both on the carrier and the agency side and the wholesale side that have just put themselves out there to uh, share what success and excitement could look like. And I think that's made the industry better with that. And, and I'm always flattered to, you know, a lot of the other podcasts are not part of us. So I'm always flattered to participate. Glitched there. You said it's something that's made I didn't the say, industry. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't say anything bad about you though during that tech glitch. So, oh, man. Uh, but I, I just end it with thank you for what you and, and a lot of other folks are doing to be out there in the industry and, and sharing your experiences. That's and just exciting. I, I'm right there with you on the fun thing. I would not be doing this if it wasn't fun, if I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, it's definitely a grind. Absolutely. And nothing hard was ever achieved without a whole lot of work to get there. So thank you for that. It's always gratifying to hear those kind of kind words from someone that you admire and look up to in a lot of ways. So that's really it for this episode. And I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap by just saying thank you to Matt Masiello uh, for giving some of his valuable time. This has been episode 100. Kind of hard to believe it, folks, but we are already almost two years into this journey. There's a couple of things we will be announcing very soon, and it will change the course of the next 100 episodes. I will say that there will be a more regular co-host that you'll be getting to uh, participate in learning from and enjoying, someone that a lot of you are already familiar with. Uh, but we will probably, and I say this almost two months in advance as we're recording this, we'll probably be announcing it the very next episode that drops, of episode 101, so stay tuned, boys and girls. And that's it for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.